What does the average week look like for you? Sure, it may start with church on a Sunday morning, but by Monday, can any of us remember what the sermon was about? We spend so much of our time on just making it through the week, helping our children with online school, balancing our job and our family life, finding time for our spouse or our significant other. But most of what we do related to our faith is crammed into about 80 minutes on a Sunday. Did you know that in a week there are 10,080 minutes? If we're spending only 80 of those focusing on our faith, what are we doing with the other 10,000? That's what this podcast is all about. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 10,000 Podcast, where we want to bring God into your 10,000 minutes each and every week. My name is Sawyer Trapp, and I'm our associate pastor here at Arise Church Denver, and I'm joined by our lead pastor, Matt Wolf. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We are recording on Tuesday morning, and it's bright and sunny. Life is good. I'm ready for spring, even though (laughs) February just started. But I'm glad you're joining us. And today on the podcast, we are actually going to get theological. We are going to dive into some deep, hard, challenging questions today. And I'm glad that you're joining us for that. And the reason is, is because I feel like Sunday's message was very practical. And because of that, it brought out from real life, from our 10,000 minutes, some questions in people's minds. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a really great message focused on the obstacles that people faced um, about changing our mindset about them. You walk, walk through a passage in Hebrews about um, enduring discipline is hardship with, with the idea that um, we're supposed to view every, op- every obstacle as an opportunity to grow, which is a great big idea. I love that big idea. But when it gets down to the practical nitty gritty, the messiness of real life, it becomes a lot harder, right? It's one thing <laughs> to say it on Sunday, but it's a whole other thing to live it throughout the week. And when you're in the midst of difficulty, when you're in the midst of these obstacles, when you're in the midst of discipline and hardship, it's a whole nother thing to actually apply and integrate seeing that obstacle as an opportunity to grow into your life. So that's what these questions stem from, I think. Yes, and they do. And and that's the greatest thing about theology. Theology is not something that should have ever and should never stay in books, in theories, in conversation. It really does impact our life. Uh, I think there's there's a great, great quote. I think it's from Tozer. I'm going to get this wrong, but like <laughs> the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Yeah, that is Tozer. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but but it's our theology that really actually shapes who we are, how we live, how we interact, how we do everything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I am glad when we can bring t- theology into our 10,000, and it's specifically related to this idea of uh, what is God really doing? You know, what what is yeah. God? How is he acting? Because in our passage that we looked at, it was Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4, all the way to verse 13. Mm-hmm. And this section, specifically in verse 5 and 6, talks about God's discipline. So the first question I got was from somebody that said, Matt, is there a difference between God's discipline and his punishment? Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between that? Like, Because it does say that God disciplines us. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. It literally says that as a quote from... Right. Um, Proverbs, the author of Hebrews in verse seven says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So it's clear in this passage that God disciplines us. 
So this person, and I've heard people say this from even pulpits before, that God will discipline you, but he won't punish you. So what do you think about that, Sawyer? Well, I think we have to think about what discipline is. Often in our our world, in the way that we talk about them, and the way we use language, we say that discipline and punishment are often the same things. They can be synonymous. So like, when if you're a parent if you're if your child does something they're not supposed to do you discipline them after that happens by giving them a punishment they walk really hand in hand but i think we actually um kind of misinterpret what discipline is discipline is more than just this reactive response to um when your child does something bad or or when us as um people who follow God do something outside of um, what God says is correct, which is what sin is. Discipline is also proactive. Sure. It is that training process. It is that development. It is becoming more and more like what, um, like God. And so when we, I think when this person is, is getting at is that it's this idea of discipline as being different from punishment, I, I think is, is at least the way we use it, Maybe, but I would also say that punishment still happens. Like even after we are um, committed followers of Jesus, we've given our life to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we still do things that miss the mark. And there are consequences, there are punishments for that happening. Yep. And your answer is actually going to be really good when we talk about the second question that I got as well. And I think you're on to something. Um, our concept of discipline includes punishment, mm-hmm. but it isn't always about punishment. So w- what we're saying, and really this comes down to the definition of words, and yeah. that idea of semantics is really important because the preacher who does say God will discipline you, but he won't punish you is correct in a sense if you look at how he's defining those terms. Mm-hmm. What Sawyer and I are saying here is that God will punish you, but we mean it in a little bit different way. Um, and this, so, so as we're talking about it, it seems a little theoretical. So we're going to go theoretical for a second, <laughs> theological, and it's going to have some practical implications. Because what, how we would agree with anybody who, who's saying God disciplines you but not punishes you is what we're saying is that the wrath of God, yes, is satisfied. Mm-hmm. We sing that in, in in that hymn, modern hymn in Christ alone. The wrath mm-hmm. of God is satisfied. His anger, the the fact that the the punishment we deserve for our sinful disobedience is a hundred percent paid off by Jesus on the cross. It's paid in full. Mm-hmm. He is punished once for all for all sins. So in that sense, the the punishment is completely done when Jesus died on the cross. If you put your faith in Jesus, you will not receive the direct punishment that you deserve for those sins. Now, but punish can also be used in the term of discipline, okay? That it has a wide range of meaning in English. So if I were to say, well, God doesn't punish you, I'm correct in the sense of the wrath of God, but in the sense that God punishes us for our good, he does. And we mean that by discipline. So I think we can divide those words up if we really want to be narrow and define it is that <laughs> God does discipline 
uh, us for maybe momentary immediate sin, but he won't give us the eternal punishment we deserve. Mm -hmm. So you won't be sent to hell. You won't be tortured. You won't have to suffer um, being away from God and his people for eternity because Jesus has already done all that for us on the cross. Uh, However, there may be some times in our life where we are sinning and God does something to get our attention. We suffer the natural consequences for our sin. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a a passage, and we're going to actually look at it in in the month of March in our uh, next series, uh, Doomsday Preppers. Stay Mm -hmm. tuned for that. (laughs) And it's in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus is asked by a group of people, hey, there was this natural disaster. A tower fell and killed a bunch of people. Yeah. Is that the wrath of God? So people are asking Jesus, like, did these people do some some sin? And Jesus is basically, I'm paraphrasing here. We'll we'll get into it more in depth later. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying, um, it doesn't really matter to you whether they sinned or not. What matters is, are you repentant? Okay. The point isn't, look at them. Did they deserve that natural disaster to happen to them? It should be, we all deserve that. We should repent now. Right. So. I've had moments in my life, I've talked to a lot of people in their life, you get in a car accident, you get really sick, something terrible happens in your life, and people wonder, did I do something to cause this? Did I sin in a way that I need to search my soul, repent of my sin, and change because of the punishment I'm feeling? What what would you say to that, Sawyer? Specifically, I think with a car accident, I think it's really hard for us to see (laughs) that as the situation. Um, as a response to sin, I think I would say two things. The first thing I would say is kind of what Jesus said after the tower fell is independent of that. Let's search our heart anyway and see if there's anything that we need to repent of and and turn back to God. So that's one thing. Secondly, I I think we we turn to um, when Jesus heals the the blind person. Mm. And if we look at that passage, which I'm trying to pull up right now. Yeah, John 9. John 9. There, yep, there we go. They're asking the same questions. Um, the Pharisees and, and religious leaders around him are, are, are asking Jesus. They say, you know, Rabbi, the disciples and, and with them said, Rabbi, who sinned? Is, was it his parents? Was it, was it him? Like, what's going on? And I love the way that Jesus responds. He says, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, said Jesus. But this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so that there are situations in our lives that happen as a result of our, you know, sinful fallen world. Like we can't point out and say, you know, this is the sin that caused this person to be blind, or this was the specific instance that caused this car accident to happen. Our world is broken. Our world is in pain. There's accidents that happen. There are problems that arise. There are car accidents that happen. People are born blind. But the beautiful thing, and I love that that this is where Jesus takes it, is that this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That even though all of those things happen, even though you know people have uh, birth defects, um, accidents happen, people die, that God is still working, God is still active, and God is still bringing about good. That the works of God are still being displayed. Yep. Yeah. And I think the book of Job is basically expanding on that concept, right? In Job Mm -hmm. chapter one, it it very clearly says that Job was righteous. Mm -hmm. He was a good man. And yet God allowed Satan to torture, destroy his life and some terrible things to happen. So it wasn't a direct cause of his sin. Mm -hmm. However, there was some things that Job needed to repent of at the end, right? 
that he needed and it was was some things so so i think that's the point it's like it, there may not be a one to one with this happened to me because of this sin mm-hmm. however i think it's always worthwhile to search your heart examine yourself and repent in first corinthians 11 um, literally what happened in the church is people were like basically getting drunk, doing some crazy stuff when they were taking communion Yeah, and they got sick. And Paul is saying, God let you get sick so that you would repent and stop doing those things. So examine yourselves before you take communion. You need right. to repent of those sins. So whatever the situation, if there's something big happening in your life, you're like, what's going on? Why is God disciplining me? Stop and repent. It, mm-hmm. It's never a waste of time. And yet we should also know that for us in our puny little brains, we will very rarely see a one-to-one correlation. So because we we don't have the mind of God, we can't see all the variables that factor in (laughs) to any given situation. Even if it is as simple as, you know, touching the stove, your hand gets burned. You know, it's, it's rarely, rarely that simple in the complexity of life, you know? So, So will God punish you? Yes. In the sense of discipline, no, in the sense, if you are a believer of eternal punishment, that is all paid for, which is great. Mm-hmm. So therefore, that leads us to the second question, which is about discipline. And it was just this idea of like, so does, is it always like, basically after the fact, is it you're supposed to then you get discipline, something bad happens, you look back at your life. And you did already address this, Sawyer, when you said, hey, discipline isn't just reactive, it's proactive. I love, love how you say that because when we discipline our children, yes, you need to discipline them when something they do something wrong. Mm-hmm. When they're sinning, when they're deliberately disobeying, they need discipline. In fact, if you don't do it, like I said on Sunday, you hate your children. However, if you love your children, you also be proactively disciplining them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just at a basic level, I just, I just did something really basic. I Googled define discipline. And the first definition that comes up, it is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior, often using punishment to correct disobedience. So before it is anything regarding disobedience and punishment, what God is doing is he's <laughs> grooming us, training us, developing us, to be people who obey rules, obey the rules that he's outlined, obey a code of behavior, and have this beautiful example of Jesus. So that God is disciplining us. Yes, sometimes that looks like punishment following disobedience, but it also looks like becoming more like Jesus, training us, creating environments where we can grow in wisdom. Um, reading our Bible is a form of discipline. Prayer is a form of discipline. Joining together in um, fellowship with other believers um, is a form of discipline that God uses to make us more and more like Jesus. Yeah. So when I'm getting back into like my kids, right? So mm-hmm. we, you know, our, our thing is we feed the kids what we're eating. That, mm-hmm. That's kind of our philosophy. And it's worked most of the time. It's worked really well. <laughs> the kids will eat it. Um, and that's discipline. We're teaching them like, Hey, you basically eat what you're served. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what we do as a family. This is what you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. You're going to get served something, you eat it. So that's proactive discipline. We don't wait till after they haven't eaten their dinner and then punish them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose you can, you can send someone to bed without 
supper, you know, that's the, that's the intro to where the wild things are. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> but, but the point is like, we're, we're doing it proactively and reactively discipline is all the time. And it's the same thing with God. So that's why every obstacle, every time we have something difficult in our life, we should think, how is God disciplining me this? How, how is every obstacle an opportunity to grow? Mm-hmm. So now we get to the third question. We're getting even more theological here as we're moving a little bit farther out. This was a question from someone with a very practical situation. They're saying, hey, I just had a parent that died. Mm. Just had a parent died, went through it. It, it, was, it was early. It was before a, a normal person dies in our country even. And how much was God in that obstacle? Was he disciplining him, me, or the family in that? Is God actively responsible for something so awful like that? Yeah. What and that's a question that so many of us face um, in our lives, whether that is the loss of a parent, whether that is maybe a loss of a child, um, a loss of another family member, or a loss of a relationship. We ask these questions when we face natural disasters, or we see these, you know, a lot of people were asking those and still are asking those questions with coronavirus, where it's not just this relationship thing, but we see so much of this loss throughout the entire world. And we ask God, where, where are you in this? Uh, that's such a practical question. And it's a hard one, right? This is a question that has, uh, that people and followers of Jesus have been wrestling with. Like, if, if God is good, why, why do these bad things happen? Yeah, thanks for not answering that, Sawyer. Um, I was building the tension. Oh, <laughs> yeah, and it is. It's a huge tension. It certainly is something that we will continue to wrestle with for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. And once again, I have to to say we have a limited human perspective. Yeah. Now, I am not going to say something that God doesn't say. So, so I'm trying to tread here a little carefully. Because it does seem that there are times in the scriptures where God is quite actively involved in awful things happening. In Lamentations 3.38, it says, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Mm. From the mouth, God is speaking. He's making it actively happen, both calamities and good things. And the calamities in the book of Lamentations are... The entire nation of Israel has been destroyed. Jerusalem has been knocked down. Every stone thrown off. Like the people are in exile away from their home. There's been death. There's been murder. It's, it's a terrible tragedy. And God is saying right after that, it's from my mouth. Bad yeah. things and good things. So there are times where God is actively um, having difficult things happen. However, as I mentioned earlier, there are times like the book of Job where God allows Satan to do something awful, but he does not do it. Or in James chapter one, where it says, God does not tempt anyone. So no temptation comes from God. God does not sin. He does not do evil. He does not tempt us to sin or do evil. So in one sense, we can see, yes, God brings about some tragic, awful things Mm -hmm. actively, but he also is not actively doing other things. So I'm just making it more confusing for people. <laughs> I'm making but it a little more confusing, right? A little so, more confusing. But I was going to say, let, let's bring it back that? to the original question. Neither Matt nor I or any human can say definitively and know definitively God's specific role in 
the loss of a parent. Yep. But what I would say to this person and to any of you out there listening that are, are wrestling with a similar question or situation is that God is in control of all things. Mm-hmm. And even in those situations where we have questions about how is God in this? Like, what is God's involvement in this? It is so much better, so, so much better to have God in control of all things than the alternative. Yep. That if God is only in control of some things and there's some situation where he's just like, nope, hands off, this one's just happening. That is so much more frightening than dealing with the possibility of saying that God is involved in, with bad things. And but I want to also caveat is some bad things that happen are just a natural response of the world that we're in, mm-hmm. that God deliberately allows evil, bad things, consequences that happen as a result of the sin that's in the world. That sadly, due to sin, people die. That sadly, due to sin, our environment isn't perfect. That sadly, due to sin, viruses like the coronavirus exist and cause pandemics and loss of life and pain and hurt. And that happens. But God is still working out all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And as followers of Jesus, we don't have to put our hope in this world. We put our hope in the world to come, (laughs) in the new heavens and the new earth, as it promises in Revelation, where, where there will not be any more tears, not any more death, any more pain, any more hurt, that we get to live in the fullness of perfection with God. And that even in our darkest moments, even in those moments of loss, of pain, of hurt, of suffering, that we can look forward to a time where that will no longer be our reality. Amen. Preach you, brother. Um, you give me some, some hope right now too. Yeah, I've, I've sometimes heard theologians talk about the two hands of God. So that can be like a helpful way for us to just practically imagine this is that with one hand, it's his active hand. He is moving. He is involved. He is with his finger, pushing people around, changing (laughs) situations. He is actively involved with that active hand. But his second hand is his passive hand where it's all more open. You you can just imagine you can. (laughs) That's what Sawyer and I are both doing. It's his open hand that he's allowing things to happen. Now, I think it's important to see those two hands as you can imagine that in your head, maybe even get out your hands right now and hold them. (laughs) Uh, unless you're driving, you should be holding the wheel. Um, Be active with both your hands. If you're driving, please. (laughs) 10 and two. um, Yeah, (laughs) do that. But, but you can just imagine what's great about that imagery is that even though God might not be actively causing this awful particular thing in your life, his hand is still there. Mm, He's never going to let it get out of his control. He knows what's going on. Even as Satan ravaged, Um, Job, and and then his physical body, he had boils all over it. God only let him go as far as he would allow it. Mm -hmm. He put a limit even on Satan himself because God is in charge of of everything. He's sovereign. So there's a great quote from Spurgeon, and he says, you know, theologians may debate, I'm paraphrasing, the sovereignty of God during the day, 
but the sovereignty of God is the pillow at night which we can sleep on, okay? Mm. That's how you can go home and rest assured that God is in control over everything. We can debate it during the day, but at night, we rest on the sovereignty of God. We can have peace because he's yeah. in control. That's so good. So, yeah, we love your questions. So I love that I got a lot of questions this week. I'm, you know, so if you have more questions, theoretical ones, theological ones, practical ones, we love to hear all of them because I do really think that God's word should impact every single minute of our day, all the 10,000, not just the 80 on Sunday mornings. That's right. So keep sending them questions, mwolf at arisedenver.com or strap at arisedenver.com. And we will be back with you next week. Um, actually, we, we may have a special guest um, next week with us. We got, mm-hmm. we got to work that out. But yep. uh, we might have a special guest next week. So tune back in. We'll see you later. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. This is Sawyer Trapp again, associate pastor here at Arise Church Denver. We want to encourage you to do three things. First is to subscribe to make sure you're getting the podcast each and every week to help bring God into your 10,000. We'd also love it if you would share this, if you would make this not only a part of your life, but a part of somebody else's. And then finally, if you are benefited by anything that we do, either as a church or on this podcast, we would love it if you would give. You can do that at arisedenver.com slash give to continue to support the mission and impact that we're having on this community and in the lives of the people of our church and those discovering us for the first time. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.